uh, criticize and doubt the word of God. Jesus didn't say this. He didn't do that. Then why would not ordinary people kind of follow suit? But the interesting thing is that the scriptures have been written by a number of men over a number of centuries. So, if that's the case, it's interesting that little pieces of information throughout the scriptures, for instance, like in Genesis, as I shared with the people in Bible study, and I won't recount that kind of R-rated um, situation where Judah and his daughter-in-law had a situation, and as I shared, I always thought it was kind of strange that that was in the scriptures until you understand that the reason it was in the scriptures is that the product of that relationship was in the ancestral line of the Messiah. It's interesting that Moses included that even though he lived centuries before the Messiah was born. Similarly, we're going to be talking about someone today, Melchizedek, that we're going to expand upon in the next few weeks. But it's just a kind of a story in the middle of Genesis with Abram and this Melchizedek guy. And you go, okay, it's interesting. Why include it in the scriptures? And then the writer of Psalms gives us a little more information about Melchizedek. And then the writer of Hebrews gives us a little more information about Melchizedek. So what I'm saying is this. Maybe we should pay more attention to the scriptures if it can be so consistent and teach us things, even when there are little things that you would say, well, why is that included? To later find out why it's included, even though it's centuries later. Now, the reason I said, well, supposedly, because while I think that the scriptures were written by a number of different men over many centuries, it had one author, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knew exactly how to give us revelation in time and time and time to increase our faith and understanding. And so I encourage you, if you think that the scriptures is just an old book, read it to see how really consistent it is and not as people who say they read it once, that it was inconsistent. Or as I believe, as you read it, it's really the product of an author called the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit wrote this, then it is important, no incumbent upon us to study it. So that's my first sermon today. Now we're going to the second one. So in Hebrews chapter 5, it says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant, and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. 
And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So that's a lot to unpack. But first of all, basically what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that when it came to the Aaronic priesthood, there were certain requirements in order to be a high priest. The first was that you had to be called by God to be a high priest. It wasn't good enough that you are a part of the Levitical priesthood. You had to be called by God within that. And to show you how God took that very seriously, when Aaron was called and his sons were called to be the high priest, there were a man by the name of Korah and 250 other Levites, not other tribes, but Levites, the Levitical priests, who said, uh, why does he have to be? We can be it as well. And Moses said, all right, tomorrow you stand outside your tent and we'll see what God has to say about it. Well, guess what God had to say about it? He sent down fire and it consumed all 250 of those wannabe priests because only a person called by God can be a high priest. So that's the first requirement. The second requirement was that he had to be sympathetic to the people. Now, as Libby had said, what she's looking at my notes, she goes, well, that's good because not all of them were. And quite frankly, during Jesus' time, the high priests were not sympathetic to the people. But at the same token, they weren't chosen by God. They bought their high priesthood from the Roman leaders. And they weren't able to go into the temple because there weren't anything to sacrifice anyway. But there was a requirement to be sympathetic. It wasn't, well, these terrible people, oh God, why would you put me with them? I can't understand. I can't stand them. And no, you need to be sympathetic. You need to understand that we all have feet of clay, that it is our desire to glorify God, but we come so short so often. And so even Paul, even though he's not a high priest, would say, you know the things that I want to do, I don't do? And the things I don't want to do, I do? Paul understood that sympathy. He understood that we all have feet of clay and that just like you, just like him, he's not perfect. There are things he doesn't want to do. There's things he wants to do. And he's sympathetic. And so that's the situation where the high priest is to be sympathetic to those that he's ministering to. And then finally, he is to offer sacrifices for sins. Sins. He is to offer sacrifice for sins. First, he is to offer, offer sacrifices for sins for himself because he's a sinner. And then after having offered sacrifices, offered sacrifices for sins for himself, he's then worthy to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, in our world, again, we love to change the definition of things, or we love to change the words. We'll go through time, and, and I'll, I'll give you an, an example of how we change words. Um, during World War I, there was, we had people who had shell shock, and then it was battle fatigue. And now it's post-dramatic stress syndrome. We get longer in our definitions and a little more wishy-washy 
but it's kinder and gentler than shell shock. Well, in, in the church today, unfortunately, and in the culture, we don't have sin. We have mistakes. We all make mistakes. If you are adding eight plus seven and get 16, that's a mistake. If you wear white after Labor Day, that may be a fashion faux pas, but it's not a sin. You may date the wrong person. Heaven forbid you may marry the wrong person. Those are all mistakes. Some mistakes have greater consequences than others. If you're doing a test and you get your mathematics of addition or subtraction wrong, you don't get as high a grade on the test. If you make a, an adding or subtracting mistake on your checkbook, you don't have as much money or you have more money than you thought. If your calculations are wrong with the reentry of a spacecraft into the earth, you could cause death. It's a mistake. Sin is different. Sin is you lied. Sin is you take the Lord's name in vain. Sin is you commit adultery. Sin is that you bear false witness. Those are sin. And then you say, well, you know, all of those are listed that you just listed are in the commandments and in the, the law, and I'm not Jewish, so they don't apply to me. Well, Paul has you covered there because he says, have you ever violated your conscience? Have you ever done something you weren't supposed to do according to your own conscience? Or have you not done something that you thought you were supposed to do? Paul says, you're guilty of violating your own conscience. Sin. You see, Jesus didn't come to forgive your mistakes. He didn't suffer and die on the cross for your mistakes. He suffered and died on the cross because of your sins. You and I are sinners saved by grace. And to ever diminish what Jesus has done is a sin. So I'm not impressed with churches who talk about my mistakes. He didn't come because we are a mistake-ridden people, although we are, because we're human. But we're also a sinful people. And that is why he came to offer his sacrifice of his blood for our sins. And to ever, ever, ever diminish that is just so wrong. And it is even worse when people who claim to bear witness to Jesus say so. I guess that's my second message. So the high priest is to offer sacrifices for sins for himself and then for the people. That's his qualifications. He's qualified because God called him, because he's sympathetic to the people, and because he offers sins, offers sacrifice for sins for the people, having first having to offer sacrifices for himself. Verse 5. 
so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus has been called by God to be our high priest. So he is called. The writer of the Hebrews is telling us the qualifications of Jesus to be high priest. And as I shared last time, we so often ignore the fact that he is our high priest. We talk about him being our king. We talk about him being our savior. We talk about him being there for us and with us and all that. But he is also our high priest because God called him to be that. And again, isn't it interesting, like I said, the word of God through these two passages in Psalms opens up what was written centuries before, that there would be a Messiah, but that Messiah would be the Son of God. And that that Messiah would come, even though he was coming from the tribe of Judah, he would also be a priest. Well, priests only come from Levi's. So how could the Messiah be both king and priest? Because centuries before the word of God says he would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which was just a short story in Genesis about Abraham offering sacrifices after a victory. And we'll discuss again him further. But again, he's showing us that God has called him and the, and the Jews would say, well, wait a minute. You just said the Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah. How can he now qualify to be priest? Because he's called according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications without, without crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. Now I want to stop there. Previously, and this is supporting that, that the writer of Hebrews told us that Jesus is sympathetic to our plight. He qualifies to be a priest because he's been called by God and he's sympathetic to our plight. And now the writer of Hebrews is going to say, not only is he sympathetic, he lived through what we live through. So that in his days of the flesh, when he was alive, he prayed for his, his people. He prayed for those. He even prayed, not only teaching the disciples how to pray, towards the end of his ministry, he prayed what we call the high priestly prayer. And in that high priestly prayer, he prayed not just for the disciples there, but he prayed for you and me. And he said he did so with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. Now, there are a whole lot of conversation in the various authors and commentaries on what this means. Some say, well, uh, we're given a little more information about what's happened at Galgoth. I mean, at uh, the Gethsemane when he's praying, and then the question is: Is he praying to be delivered from death, 
or is he praying to be delivered after he's died, not to remain in, in death, but to be resurrected? And they go back and forth and back and forth about who's right. I don't know. Because Jesus ain't me. And I know Jesus was totally obedient to the Father. And I don't know what was going on between him and the Father. I suspect part of the agony was that there would be separation. That I think here, he's not talking necessarily about physical death. I think he's talking about the death of separation between him and God. That that would be reunited. I don't know. And I take the word of God so seriously. I don't want to tell you something that is true when I'm not sure. But I know this is a complex situation. It's almost to me like the Trinity. I'm not quite sure the agony that Jesus is feeling. I know that because he tells his disciples, this is the reason I came. I came to die. The father sent me before the foundation of the world, before God ever said, let there be light. This plan had been determined. And he was heard because of his piety, his righteousness, his obedience. But I want you to notice something. He was heard, but it didn't change the plan. All too often in our prayers, we think God didn't hear us because he didn't do what it is we ask him to do. Somehow, well, our prayers just hit the, the ceiling because God didn't respond. Jesus prayed with tears and was heard. But God said, this is what you're to do. And Jesus did it. So don't confuse hearing with affirmative action. The hearing may also be, yeah, I heard you. And I'll be there with you, but do what I told you to do. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Here's another very complicated verse to me. How does God, the one who knows all, who's omniscient, omnipresent, all these things, how does he learn anything? The only thing I can tell you is sometimes we know things because we know them until we experience them and then we know them. You may know your spouse will be committed to in sickness and in health. But you don't know until you're sick. So he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So you see, Jesus wasn't obedient just because it all worked out for him. He was obedient even in the suffering. And today we want to be obedient as long as God has called us to great and wonderful, marvelous things. As long as we get to see the mountains move. 
Not so much that the mountains bury us. Jesus was obedient even through all his sufferings. And in another interesting, and having been made perfect. Well, what do you mean made perfect? I thought Jesus was perfect. He is the son of God because he was made complete in his suffering. He was perfect and now even more so perfect because he was completed. So a lot of times we think perfect means without blemish or without fault. Sometimes perfect also means completed. So Jesus was completed. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him, the source of eternal life. You see, the high priest under Aaron would offer sin sacrifices for sins. And he would do that daily. And then once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifices for all the people. And that was done once a year. And the scriptures, and we'll see later in Hebrews, it confirms that without the shedding of the blood, there can be no remissions of sins. And so there was a repetitiveness of offering sacrifices because guess what? If today we were Jews and we still had the temple or the tabernacle, and we would go on this Sunday morning and lay our hands on that sheep. And as we lay our hands on that sheep, the priest would cut its throat and it would bleed and we would get all bloody and the priest would get all bloody. And we would say, my sins have been sacrificed and now I am cleansed. And then we walk out of the temple or the tabernacle and we have an impure thought. Oops, now I need to go back to the tabernacle or the temple because I'm now unclean again and I'm a sinful man because I keep sinning. And if that was the economy we had to do, we would all get in line, offer our sacrifice, and as soon as it was done, we'd get back in line because we're sinful. We didn't make mistakes. We are sinful. But Jesus' sacrifice, his blood caused us to have his sacrifice once and for all. And his blood is so powerful that it has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Not just the ones in the past, not just the ones in the present, but the ones we haven't even thought of yet. To the point that not only are we forgiven, we have been given eternal salvation. It can never be taken away. Not because of my sin, not because of my disobedience, but because of his sacrifice. That's how powerful his sacrifice and his priesthood is. It is not a once a time, every time, but it's a once and it's completed forever. It is finished. He is the source of eternal salvation. It's not all paths leads to heaven. It's one path leads to heaven. That is through the sacrifice and faith in Jesus. Being designated by God 
as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So again, he confirms and he says, yeah, Jesus was not an Aaronic priest. He didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah to be king, not only to be king, but to be king of kings and Lord of lords, to be the Messiah, but to be a prophet and to be a high priest, not just a priest. And as I shared, and as the scriptures tell us all the way back from Exodus, all the way to Revelation, we are called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and Jesus is our high priest. It's so fantastic, and yet we tend to ignore that part of who he is and what he has done. Yeah, he's my savior. Yes, he's my Lord, but he is my high priest who intercedes for me at the right hand of God the Father. So when I mess up, he goes, my blood covered that. My blood covered that. There's no need for another sacrifice. My blood covered that. Yeah, well, but this time, his, yeah, you need all my blood on him because he just messes up all the time. But he's still mine. It's eternal according to the order of Melchizedek. So this is kind of like one of those um, Western series where there'll be a, a, a point and then you'll think, okay, that something new is going to happen. And then they say, well, we'll see you next week. We're going to talk more about Melchizedek next week and the following weeks. So stay tuned. Verse 11, and we're going to start next time with verse 11, but I want to conclude it today. Concerning him, that's Melchizedek. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He didn't say you're stupid. He didn't say you can't learn. He said you refuse to. You're just dull. You're supposed to be a, a sharp-edged sword like the Word of God. A, a sword that's sharper than a two-edged sword, but you're dull. You couldn't cut a wet noodle. You're so dull. You become dull of hearing. And to me, that is such an indictment. I hate the word stupid because stupid means you can't learn. This is almost as bad. It's not that you can't learn. You won't. But then again, if you see people in the pews today, as long as they hear about how wonderful money can be, that God so loves you, that all he does is sit in heaven and just look at you because he's just so enamored and so much in love with you. As opposed to the fact that our job is to glorify him. But that's not as cool. Because I'm so special. And how God just wants to give you a ton of money. He just wants to bless you with things and houses and cars. 
And the reason you don't have those things is because you don't have enough faith. Show me that in the scriptures. It's BS. Everybody wants to know what their purpose is. And as I had a thing, forget your purpose. It's about your destiny. But if we want to know what your purpose is, your purpose is to glorify God. You can do that as a lawyer. You can do that as a doctor. You can do that as a plumber. You can do that as unemployed. So I'm spending time on this because I don't think so. But if there's somebody here who just doesn't want to hear the word of God, I hope the Holy Spirit convicts you right now so that you do want to hear and not just hear, but understand and not just understand, but to do the word of God. It's not just those who hear, but those who do. He is our high priest because he was appointed by God. He is our high priest because he sympathizes with us. He is our high priest because he offered not just sacrifices, but his own body and his own blood. And there was no need for him to offer sacrifices for himself because he was perfect, sinless. He was appointed by God as a son and as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek or to praise him or to seek him. And we also understand as we're going to sing in a moment, he is God with us. He is not just God with us in the sense of he experiences what we've done. He's not just God with us because he's in, involved in our lives. He's not just God with us because he dwelt among us. He's not just God with us because as the word of God says, he dwells in us. He's not just God with us for all those reasons. He is God with us because when Jesus is for us, when he is with us, then no one can be against us. He is God with us. And so Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to remove your sin and your shame. Let him do that. And let him be God with us. And all God's people said,